I think the reason that this is exciting for us and for all of our partners is like, this is a way to show photography kind of out in the streets, out in a place where people can stumble upon it on their way to work, stumble upon it on their way to grab some lunch. This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and I have to admit right here at the very beginning that I am tremendously excited about today's podcast. Exhibiting photographs is one of the things we talk about an awful lot, the very many ways to do it, whether it's digital, whether it's print, whether it's in a gallery or a newspaper or a magazine. It seems getting our work out there is a topic of constant reinvention. And for my way of thinking, some of the most innovative, some of the most creative, and and some of the most dynamic ways are coming out of an organization called Photoville in New York, and particularly with their project called The Fence. So today we are talking with Laura Romanos and Jasmine Chang. Laura is the co-founder and executive director of Photoville. She's from Sydney, Australia, lovely town. I've had the good fortune to visit a fair number of times. Moved to New York a while and spent a long time working in theater before coming to Photoville. Jasmine is the deputy director for community and education at Photoville and also co-founder of Community Heroes, which is a neighborhood-based public art project. Welcome to both of you. Welcome to the Frames podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, you've done your homework. I'm impressed. Yeah. I want to begin with Photoville because looking at it on the website and everybody listening, just Google Photoville and Google the Photoville fence and, and you will see exactly what we're talking about. I was really impressed with sort of the genius of the idea of Photoville, the fact that this series of containers would become its own sort of village, hence the name. Laura, Tell us the story. How in the world did Photoville spring from nothing into this wonderful community? Sure. Well, I know we don't have 10 hours, so I'll give everyone the brief (laughs) version of it. So many, many years ago, back in 2011, myself, Dave Shelley, and Sam Barzillet, the three of us kind of founded United Photo Industries. And it was really born, I I am a theater producer, event producer, public art producer and Sam and Dave were working with the New York Photo Festival. And for them, they really felt, and it was a great, very exclusive photo festival. And they really wanted to create something that was more for everyday folks, something that was free and accessible. I think sometimes when things are ticketed and, you know, a lot of things should be ticketed, things cost money. (laughs) But um, they just felt like there were so many really great stories and they wanted it to be a you know, to showcase and work with great photographers and organizations and make it accessible. And we had the wonderful opportunity to exhibit work as part of the Dumbo Arts Festival back in 2011. And it's an outdoor arts festival. And Sam Barsley actually was like, we're in Dumbo in Brooklyn and on the waterfront. It's an old port town and looking at shipping containers What a great way to show work. We also were talking about the fact that in here in New York City, rent was just getting kind of out of hand, Um, still is. (laughs) 
So we thought it it was kind of a really democratic way of showing work and a feasible way of showing work. So for the 2011 Double Arts Festival, we had five shipping containers and Regina Meyer, who was the, the then the president of Brooklyn Bridge Park, which has started developing, saw the shipping containers. Uh, we had exhibitions. We had a camera obscura. We had like over 200,000 people came through that weekend. It was a big, big, massive community festival. And Regina Meyer saw that and she's like, I love this. Can we do this in the park? And we're like, oh, sure. And we had no money at that point. And around that time, we'd actually just opened our new gallery. And that was actually where we met Jasmine. So Jasmine's actually not, you know, she's our deputy director, but was actually the first person who ever worked with us. So she's a founding member of who we are. And, you know, we, again, we didn't have any money. You know, we were really starting from scratch. I was still working other jobs, but we thought, who's going to offer us space in New York City to do what we want? So originally we were thinking 10 shipping containers in 2012. And then all of a sudden the park said, you know, that little spot that we had thought we could do your little event that's being developed. We can give you space on the uplands of Pier 3. And that's, however, instead of 20,000 square feet, it's 80,000 square feet. <laughs> and we had a moment of freak, freak out. But then we started talking about, let's do a dog run. Oh, what about a beer garden? We could do nighttime projections. Oh, we could have sections for talks and for workshops. We even talked about for a moment a skate, like a skate park and then saw how much that cost. <laughs> so we're really thinking big. And again, we we're like, no one is going to give us this opportunity again. We couldn't just say to Regina, you know what? Let's wait for another year or two. That wasn't going to happen because the park was being developed. And we really did think of this as an opportunity to invite more artists, more organizations. And the whole idea of Photoville, by the way, our um, master designer, one of our board members, Victor Cohen, he's, a, he's an amazing graphic designer, came up with that name Photoville. We were calling it Photopods and then we were thinking, we were saying, well, we're a village. And he came up with Photoville. So that's where that name came from. I think that is that is wonderful. And I should make it clear for people that are listening, when you say you have these containers, each container is its own mini gallery. Exactly. And, and are they dedicated to themes or to artists or how are you differentiating? So first year, and this has been our guiding principle, is that we create a critical mass. So the idea is that, you know, a lot of festivals all around the world, they're usually spread out in a town. And that's really wonderful. But we wanted a place where it was kind of a one-stop shop. And basically, you were someone that when you leave, you liked something. And we say that we curate the curators. And really, the one common theme is stories, is about visual stories. And so we thought the idea of we brought on the New York Times, we have National Geographic, Time Magazine, we have, we have some big, big name uh, partners we also have Magnum Foundation, Open Society Foundation, but then we also have the schools, School of Visual Arts, ICP, NYU, and then we have independent photographers, independent curators. So really thinking of it being incredibly inclusive, and we've really tried to keep doing that for the last 10 years of like consistently making it inclusive. And so you may come because you heard about it, 
oh, there's a New York Times photographer or a Nat Geo photographer, but you usually leave talking about some other photographer that you just discovered. Would you say that the, the audience that is going through the containers, that is walking through the exhibit, is pretty photo savvy? Are they mostly photographers? Are they the general public that just enjoys photographic storytelling? Who, who is your audience for Photoville? All of the above, right, Jasmine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I feel like all of you see families walking through. It's really, it's like a mix of like, I feel like half of the people are coming here because Photoville's a destination and half of the people are like, they were walking through Dumbo. They were walking through the area and they started seeing pictures and were drawn into it. Yeah. And I also want to add, like when we talk about stories, like I am a theater producer and so I tell stories and so whenever everyone goes, well, that's weird. I'm like, how is it weird? It's um, whether you're putting on a photo exhibition or putting on a show on stage, you're telling a story. And so you have to think about who your audience are and, and what their interests are. And so when we look at these exhibitions that we produce and up until like well, this year alone, we have over 60 exhibitions. Last year, we had 90 exhibitions, nine zero. And ultimately, we think, and the reason why we don't have a theme is because our world is complicated and there's a lot of issues in this world. So when we think about an exhibition on climate change, someone who's drawn to that is really thinking about the issues, not necessarily the photographs or the, you know, the light. We work with the most extraordinary photographers. So visually, they're all fantastic <laughs> and I'm biased, but they're all brilliant. But it's really about the story they're telling. And, you know, we think about one of the exhibitions we have this year, Erin Lefer, who photographed her brother who has autism and he and it's him telling his story with her photographs and you think about the amount of families and the amount of people who have connected to that they're not photo connoisseurs they, they can't tell you that technically they don't really care about what camera Erin used to take those photos it's just they're really connected to that story and uh, young people who have autism and how they navigate the world that's what's important I was going to say, I wanted to add on the note of storytelling that something that's really cool in that regard is the fact that these exhibitions are in a shipping container. Mm -hmm. It adds like a whole new element to storytelling is it's a challenge for the curators and the artists to really think about like spatially, how do we tell this visual story? And so I think for a lot of the exhibitions, the fact that it's in the shipping container, that it's in this very different space than like a gallery or a museum, it really gets people thinking creatively about like how to use the different surfaces and how to kind of like, not just kind of like the scale of the photographs and kind of where everything goes, but really like, how do you create an environment within the shipping container? So it's like, we see people like people bringing in audio, people bringing in kind of like interactive elements of having one part of the wall that's for like the audience to write on and to like add their feedback. I think one of our ex exhibitions the first year, which I think I feel like was like a great mark and kind of a great direction for inspiration for future photoville exhibitions was the Magnum Foundation did two exhibitions the first year. One was Bruce Gilden's work and one was Sim Chi Yin's work. For Bruce Gilden's work, they literally, they brought out an old mattress that was put out outside the shipping container that had a speaker 
hidden in it that had like audio storytelling. And for Sim Chien's exhibition, which was about like the rat tribe in China, they outfitted the exhibition to look like a small apartment that a worker in China would be living in, like down to the pictures on the wall, down to like a rice cooker in the corner. And they really just kind of took like spatial storytelling to heart. And to add to Jasmine, what was so great about that and it was our first year, you have Bruce Gilden, who is so widely known in the photographic community. And so here you have his work. And by the way, they, the way they did the shipping container, they actually chained it off so no one could actually enter the shipping containers. They had projections inside. They had a chain. It was about four closures in America. And they kind of like had boarded up stuff from the outside. They had contact sheets. Like Jasmine said, they had a really crappy um, mattress and old couch. And there you have this like master of photography. And all of a sudden there's a whole new audience who had no idea his work, or maybe they'd seen his photographs, but didn't know the person. So even someone like that could see the value of a place like Photoville. And then you have Sin Chi Yin, who is, you know, 10 years later has become such a widely amazing, respected photojournalist. But 10 years ago, she was an emerging photographer. And so all of a sudden, you know, people discovering her work and yes, they're going in and they're lying on the they're lying on the bed, they're realizing, oh, this is how people live in Beijing and like the rat tribe. But then they're looking at these images and they're learning more about the human experience. It's been really fantastic. And they really set the tone, as Jasmine said, of how organizations, curators, artists have like tackled Photoville. And look, in the last 10 years, we've had Lindsay Adario, Deborah Willis, Jamal Shabazz. We've had Eugene Richards, Sarah Terry, we've had like some of the best of the best photojournalists who have really just like embraced that Photoville spirit, as we said, and are just so excited to exhibit their work inside a shipping, a crappy shipping container, might I add you. Um, <laughs> but they're so excited by it because it's a new challenge and it's a new way to connect with people and to tell their story. And Jasmine's so right. It's like, how do they think about the space and how are they going to engage audiences? And we always say to everyone, less is more. Don't underestimate your audience and like less is more. If you've got like 60 plus exhibitions, people only have a few hours. You don't, you don't want to be that exhibition that people walk into and are going, are going to be totally overwhelmed. So it's a real balance there. It's a remarkable, remarkable exhibition. And, and I don't know, you know, you can't do, you know, major theme parks in an afternoon. I would come to New York and I would plan three days at Photoville if, if it was up for me. But I, I want to make a little bit of a turn here and, and Jasmine ask you about the offshoot. You've got Photoville, you have these containers, you have people going to a site, and then you have the fence. Tell me about the fence, it's, its origins and sort of its evolution from its beginning to now. Yeah, definitely. And Laura, you should jump into kind of about the beginning of the fence. The fence actually kind of debuted in the world before Photoville. So the fence launched the summer of 2012, leading up to Photoville. It actually, it, um, we announced the fence early in the year. So it was like around March, April, but actually it exhibited the same day we opened Photoville. Because it was June, it was 100 degrees. And that's why we moved Photoville to September, because our first year, we said never again shipping containers in June, the worst idea ever. <laughs> so that is just a little backstory. But yeah, but technically the fence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
So we call them like sister projects to each other. So the fence is basically, it's about a thousand foot long photography exhibition printed on vinyl and exhibited along a long stretch on the fence. So it is an exhibition that started off in Brooklyn Bridge Park. So kind of like what Laura mentioned of having this space, we have that 80,000 square foot lot to do the containers for the Photoville Festival, but we also have the Brooklyn Bridge Park in Brooklyn is, it's a long stretch of park along a waterfront that was in construction when we started the exhibition. So we also had, in addition to that lot, we had a lot of construction fencing to work with. And so the fence project came about as an idea of like, how can we also use that space, that long stretch of space to share photography? I will say it started as one exhibition in Brooklyn Bridge Park, but it has since grown to the second year we did the fence. We had an organization in Boston reach out to us about bringing the fence to Boston. And so the second year, the fence was one exhibition shown in two cities in Brooklyn and Boston. And then the third year on an organization in Atlanta, Atlanta Celebrates Photography reached out to us about bringing it to Atlanta. And at this point, um, we're on our ninth edition of The Fence. And this year, we're in 11 cities. So it's really kind of ballooned and blossomed. We didn't imagine that. I don't think we could have imagined back in 2012 that it would be in so many cities. It's been really, really, really exciting to see it grow and to be able to work with partners in all of these different cities, a mix of photography organizations, a mix of public spaces and like local civic organizations to bring this to all of the cities. I think the reason that this is exciting for us and for all of our partners is like, this is a way to, to show photography kind of out in the streets, out in a place where people can stumble upon it on their way to work, stumble upon it on their way to grab some lunch, stumble upon it with their families. And yeah, it's a lot. And I, I just want to add to what Jasmine was saying is what's so unbelievable about it. And look, we could be in, everyone's like, why aren't you in these cities? Or why, they, well, first of all, money. <laughs> I mean, it costs so much to do this in 11 cities. And it's just the back end, I think, is we make it look easy. But I would say that what is extraordinary about it is that we have these 11 cities and these spaces and these partners who understand what this is about and the fact is they have to agree to this exhibition without seeing what the photography is going to be so they have to trust that we have over 60 jury members who are going to really think about and choose the right stories they have to understand that this is for a public viewing so we always say like you know just no nudity, no graphic violence. <laughs> but other than that, we have partners and we have city partners who truly understand that this is a democratic country and that it is about sharing stories. And a lot of the times, many of those stories are challenging are difficult, are really showing unfortunate situations about not only this country, but the rest of the world. And so I have to really thank and acknowledge the fact that we have partners who truly understand that. And so when we give them the final kind of here are all the photographs and here are the artists, I mean, honestly, 99.9% .9 of the time, like there's no debate. And if there is that 0.1%, we have a conversation. 
with the partner and we go to bat for the story, for the work and for the photographer. There's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes that no one really has any idea about. <laughs> there, no, there is. And, and I should tell everybody listening, you, you've just given me you know, great introductions to my next several questions here. But I want to tell everybody first, when you say that this is printed on canvas and on a fence, this is not small. These images are what? Four and a half, five feet tall by five feet wide. I forget the actual uh, dimensions, but they are huge. And if you're on the sidewalk, they are intimate. They are all encompassing. A lot of people also, at least here in Fargo-Moorhead, where we, we might be still your newest city. I don't know if we still have that honor. You can drive by some of the fences and people slow down to three miles an hour and take it in. But I am impressed with the storytelling throughout the, the range of artists, that you start with one artist, you see five images from them, you read the little description, but then you read the next one, and then the next one, and the next one. And as you say, the world is complex and problematic and beautiful. You get all of that in the space of walking along the fence and reading these stories, seeing the images, reading the text all combined. It is, however, I would imagine, a delicate dance to explain to the judges what you're trying to accomplish. So is there an aesthetic to the fence? Is there an aesthetic or, or a worldview that is sort of guiding or just saying nothing that's going to be upsetting to the person that doesn't want to be upset? So I think similarly to the way that the festival is curated with the fence, kind of the guiding call for entries that we put out asks photographers to submit work in seven categories. So they're pretty broad categories like people, nature, home, creatures, play. They're really broad categories that photographers can see and kind of interpret in a number of ways. And so I think that kind of opens the door for receiving a lot of really diverse entries. And then kind of our method of doing that with like how it is curated is that we see our job as really every year we have a completely new jury. So every year the jury is a totally different set of over 60 photography and visual arts professionals from all around the globe. And so for us, we think if we do our job right and really invite a jury that has lots of different perspectives and we have them look through the work with their perspective, with their worldview, with what they're looking for, the process of having all of these people look through all of this work will elevate and kind of bring to the top a really great mix of stories. It's not so much kind of giving direction about what to look for or what to avoid. It's really having our jury members bring their perspectives and their vision for photography to the table. So you, you have 60 judges looking at how many entries? Or I should say, how many photographers? How many... I don't even know if I know that off the top of my head. Um, over a few thousand. Yeah. And especially this year, because of what was, you know, with COVID, we, well, every year we actually, and not a lot of people know this, but we actually have a scholarship where for any photographer, you know, like so many call for entries, there is a, an entry contribution fee. And, but we don't want any photographer to feel like they can't, have their work considered for financial reasons if they can't afford it. So we've had this scholarship for the last few years actually where we had hundreds of photographers apply for it 
and got it. But we also this year implemented a pay what you can because we also understand, again, photographers, you know, so many of us are having a hard time. And so we actually had a lot of um, really, really great entries this year. And so we had just as much as we've had in previous years. And that's one of the reasons why we do have a large jury because people divide and conquer and then they everyone sees the last few hundred that get to the top. But it's been really fantastic because a lot of jury members love doing this because they get to discover new work. And, look, we can only choose a certain amount of work that goes on the fence and there is usually at least a few hundred that could have easily been on there. And so that's why jury members love it because they get the chance to look at who else is out there and what their work is and discover more. And especially now where no one can go out, this is even a really important process as well. We actually heard that from a lot of our jury members. It was actually a welcome thing to, to see all this work this year. In, in these times of COVID, you know, photographers are having an especially difficult time. And the fence strikes me as the perfect outlet for the time that we're in, for the diversity of uh, photography. It, it is a remarkable installation. And I'm still flabbergasted by, you know, if, if every photographer is turning in five images or so, and you've got thousands of photographers and 60 jurists, that is gargantuan work. That, that, that is, you know, Titanic-sized project. All for a, a free community art exhibit. So, both of you have worked in this before. Talk to me about the, the value of not gallery art, but sidewalk art, community art, just out there. And as was one of you said a second ago, stuff you can stumble upon. Well, I, I think ultimately, you know, we've all gone to galleries, we've all gone to museums, and let's really talk about the people who go to those institutions and spaces. It's usually a very uh, narrow demographic, but I will say this. It is so important to have them. We ran a gallery ourselves for nine years. A lot of our friends and peers and colleagues run galleries and spaces, and they are huge advocates for photographers. And also, I mean, let's all not even get to the museums. They're also so important. The wonderful thing about public art is that it is really reaching everyone. And so it's a really great way to get your message out there to get in front of eyeballs and communities that would not necessarily go to a museum or read the New York Times or National Geographic. But also it's important to actually, like the amount of emails that we've gotten the last nine years where a photographer has sold work because their work was on the fence and someone just jogged by every day and just decided, I'm going to reach out and buy that work. Or someone, you know, reached out and hired them. I also will say that we are part of an ecosystem. So many photographers that we've displayed, not only on our fence and, and at Photovilla Festival, but in other projects that we've done year round. We do a lot, by the way, besides the fence and the festival. We're adding to their resume that then a gallerist would see, oh, this person has an audience. There is actual potential here to sell work. So usually, and I think that's what people don't understand, is gallerists don't usually just pick a photographer right out of art school to represent them. They need to see that there's a history, as you know. And so us doing this and working and collaborating with photographers in this way really does help and add value to their work, we hope. And look, again, um, we do other things outside of 
these two particular projects we're talking about, and a lot of them actually were paying a lot of photographers. We're actually working on a huge project right now where we're actually writing big checks to photographers. Over half of them are photographers that have been on the fence, that we met through the fence. So it's just something to think about. There's a lot of different opportunities. It is a domino effect. I was going to say, one of my favorite things about sidewalk art is install day. So any install day that we've ever done anywhere, it's like, okay, we're going out, we have the artwork, we have zip ties, we have all the things that we need to put the art up. And it's like 15 or 20 minutes in, we usually have a peanut gallery behind us who's like, oh, that's really cool. They're looking at the artwork. They're wanting to help. They're wanting to know what it's all about. Because I think people like, they get really excited when it's in their space. I actually have a fun, so when we installed the um, exhibition in Jackie Robertson Park in Harlem for the festival about a month ago, it should have been a 45-minute install. It ended up being three hours because it was such a busy thoroughfare that we had so many community members not only telling us how to install, which actually one woman was actually correct in the location so that she was awesome, but also they started telling us stories about, because this is an exhibition we did in partnership with the Schomburg Center, so it's about archival images of Harlem. We actually had people starting to talk about certain people in the photos, certain areas. And so Jasmine's right, is this peanut gallery, but it really is about community and it's this pride of being able to like have more than just a simple photograph or a sculpture. It is really about these stories that people get super excited about. On your website, you have a wonderful quote from Sarah Lean, the former director of photography for National Geographic. And, and she says, the celebration of photography is like a huge family picnic that lasts for nearly two weeks. It's a reunion, an adventure of discovery, and an affirmation of what we know and love. And that adventure of discovery is very much the experience of walking along the fence. But as you said, on the install days, at least out here in Fargo-Moorhead, people were hanging around waiting to see the next bit of canvas unrolled to, to, to see these images appear. And it, it was a real sense of joy to have some other version of the world presented to them in these wonderful and completely talented images. Both of you, you're sitting at a dinner party. Someone says, tell me a story about Photoville or the fence or the other projects you're working on. What story first comes to mind? You know, I think for me, Jasmine's, I'm looking at Jasmine. She's thinking right now. So I can say <laughs> um, for me, it always goes back to our first Photoville because, you know, doing it in June, it was hot weather. It was like such a feat. I mean, we were so small. You know, I'd actually been touring a huge show to the Sydney Opera House three weeks before because, you know, I was, I, we weren't paying ourselves. Well, Sam, Dave and I weren't paying ourselves the first three years. It was, you know, we knew it was going to rain opening day, but we thought it's an outdoor event. It will rain and then it would be like sunshine again because it's like 90 degrees. It was like the apocalypse. All of a sudden, the clouds kind of rolled over and we're like, hang on, it wasn't supposed to get here until for another hour or so. And it just like, it was this freak storm that everyone ran undercover. I actually have met one of my closest friends in the world who actually works at the Magnum Foundation because her and I were trying to hold down a tent. We had Sam running around. Everyone was soaking wet. I remember Jasmine was caught halfway through with my dog. <laughs> um, oh my. And then we had our friends, our Dutch artists, 
decided that the rain was coming into their container so they and it was an electrical storm so that all of a sudden they popped out their umbrella out outside of a steel shipping container and we're yelling at them to like throw it like who cares we don't care about the artwork and so this is also something that started the last nine or ten years we keep telling people this is public art once it's out there you can't be precious about it anymore like you can't (laughs) Or like, don't choose not to do it inside of a shipping container or outside. But that's one of the stories we talk about because it was quite memorable. And it was also a way for so many of us to connect and, and you know, laugh afterwards. And then it was two weeks of 101 degree heat. Oh, oh my. <laughs> Jasmine, tell me a story. I'm having a hard time thinking of one story, but as Laura was talking She's like she's looking at me because she's like seeing me flip through like the Rolodex of things in my brain. Um, <laughs> I think what stands out is just like number of like small personal connections that have happened through all of this. So like everything from like us as a team and the amount of people that have to come together to make these projects happen to like walking around the festival and like A couple years ago, we had an exhibition up by this photographer named Grandma Techno. And she is a photographer in Detroit. She's showing... Will you share a little bit about her exhibition, Laura? She's an extraordinary photographer we've known for years. And she has multiple sclerosis. So she is bound to a wheelchair. And she's become this kind of... uh, celebrity in Detroit because she loves techno like music festivals but techno music festivals there's a little documentary about her like when she goes they even have like a VIP section for her they like make way for grandma techno and she's just beautiful and amazing and she's also a mentor to so many other young photographers in Detroit and two years ago um, she got pneumonia and she was she was stuck in a hospital And instead of going, you know, poor old me, she started photographing her caretakers, the nurses, the people bringing her food, her amazing husband, who is just so brilliant. She had this like amazing Instagram account where she was documenting all of it every day. And we just loved it so much that we reached out to her and just went, Patricia, like, we want to show your work. And so we worked with her on creating that. And then she came out to New York when we had her exhibition. And Jasmine, did you want to continue with this? (laughs) Yeah. So every year at the festival, we do an education day where we have over 600 middle school and high school students come visit Photoville. And so during education day, we had a student who got to see her exhibition, meet her, and each each of the groups of students have a docent with them. And the docent for this particular group of students was a woman named Carmen, who the first year of Photoville, she was an assistant principal for a school that sent her students to Education Day. And she's since retired. And every single year since she was retired, she's been volunteering at Photoville as a docent for Photoville Education Day. So, so that's kind of a relationship where she's had a really long history with Photoville. And so she saw like this student... After he saw Patricia's exhibition, he was just like, he kind of, he seemed like a little absent. Like he wasn't, he was just like thinking about something the whole rest of his day. And so at the end of the day, she went up and talked to him and she's like, Hey, like, what's, what's going on? Like, how is your experience here? And 
he said that he was so moved by her exhibition that he actually, he wrote her a haiku. So the whole rest of their field trip, like he was thinking about this haiku to write for her and to write in response to her work. And so Carmen was like, okay, you got to go over and you got to like, you got to share this with her. So he went over, he shared her haiku with her. They're now like Instagram friends. And it was just this like really cool web of connections between Grandma Techno and this educator who we've worked with for a number of years and the student who's now connected to Grandma Techno. I think that's one example of a lot of the stories and connections that happen with this work. Well, I, I think the, the people listening are, are going to be impressed because as photographers, we all want an audience and, and we want someone to see our images and see the stories that we're trying to tell. And it can be rarefied. It can be, you know, difficult to get at in a gallery. It can be impersonal, you know, in, in a magazine or a newspaper or whatever. And here you have the very best. You have practitioners, you have audience members, you have people that have absolutely no idea they're about to see a photo exhibit come upon it. And both Photoville and The Fence, I think, represent the very best of what exhibiting photography can be. So everybody out there that, that's listening to the podcast, yes, you should be submitting your work to the next edition of The Fence. You're paying attention to not only the photo festivals that you know have been around for uh, a great many years, but to Photoville uh, and the work that they're doing as well. Both of you, thank you very much. This, this has been a wonderful, wonderful experience. Thank you. It's so nice to chat and, you know, never be a stranger. And we really appreciate being able to have this opportunity to let more people know about who we are. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. <laughs> it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. Frames. Because excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com.